theyeshiva.net. Start by Ezra Hashem today a new mimer. It's not going to be on the parsha. It's going to be on a later parsha. But as you know, the the we'll catch up. No, <laughs> the no. These mimerim, the parsha is an entry into yes, uh, to an idea, into a concept that's timeless. The Mitzvah Rebbe, the son of the Balatanya, said that the psukim with which the mimerim begins are in a passport. It's a passport. <laughs> the journey, the passport. You know, to get in, to get in through security. To get on the plane, you need a passport to get into the country. Once you're in the country, you put away the passport. Huh? Page 60. It's Lamed, uh, column 3. Lamed Ahmed Gimel. Vayihi miketsh nasayim yamim upare choylem v'goymer. It's the beginning of, it's a pasuk of the beginning of miketsh. At the end of two years, Pare has a dream, his famous dream. He's by the river, and uh, there's seven uh, fat cows that emerge, followed by seven lean cows. The seven lean cows swallow the seven fat cows. A similar dream with seven stalks of seven ears of grain that are robust, followed by seven ears of grain that are emaciated or lean, and they swallow them up. And the whole continuation of the story, Yosef interprets the dream, seven years of Plenty followed by seven years of famine that will swallow up the seven years of plenty, and hence we have to store food, and Yosef becomes the prime minister of Egypt. It's a story in a sentence. The last words of Ayeshev are Yosef is, of course, in prison. He's been there for years. He finally, he finally thinks that he's going to be helped by the butler of Paroi, whose dream he explained and deciphered as somebody who will soon find salvation and freedom, and that's exactly what happens. When the butler and the baker share their dreams and Yosef interprets them, and he begs him to go to Paroi and plead on his behalf as an advocate for his innocence so that he could release him from prison. But the Pasuk says he forgot about him. So the last Pasuk of a Parsha and the beginning of the next Parsha are connected because it's one after the other, even though we... You know, we wait a week between one and the other, but in the Torah, it's mechuber, it's connected. So he says, I don't know if he means mechuber, that there's no hefzik, mamash. Anybody knows the psuchus and the stumas here? In other words, one parsha goes into the other one. So he says, It's not stam two separate things. Because he didn't remember, from this happened the Vayihimikates. So Alpipshad it means there was the need for another way to get Yosef out of prison. And Alpipshat, either it would have happened this way, it didn't work out this way. So what happened was Vayihimikates. That's Alpipshat. You can explain here the whole thing on a on a deeper level. There's a klal the pasuk in Kaihelis Shleimah Melech says Zelu Umaze Asel Lekim. 
everything in the world is zelu umaza. Every force has a counterforce. Practically speaking, means if you're doing something good, somebody's going to say something bad about you. <laughs> or as they say, they, they, no good. Huh? as they say in English, no good deed goes unpunished. That's how it is. Zelu umaza. If something very powerful is happening, there's always a counterforce. It's just it creates balance in the world. But it means both ways. Connected every koyach in Gdusha. There's a koyach of Lumazel. Lumazel means the other side, the parallel side, the contrasting force. And the connected every koyach in Klippa, there has to be a koyach in Gdusha against it. But there's no such a thing. A person has an obstacle, a challenge, a skeleton, an issue to overcome, and there's no force in positivity in your psyche that can't deal with it. As the Gemara says, which represents, in other words, that every challenge, it may be a serious challenge, but there's a koyach to address it. There's a counterforce that can deal with it. That's called zelo umaza. That's what he's teaching here. Usually we say, Kedusha has klippe. Here he says, Klippe also has Kedusha. Works the other way also. Which is, a, which is a very important idea. A person is facing something, and they may be some, facing something very heavy. There's resources within their soul, which they may have to access, that could confront, can help them deal with this situation according to the best outcome possible under under these circumstances. So he says when you have it, you have para, you have a Paris butler, you have Paris baker, all these characters in Chumash. So Pari was Pari, he wasn't a great uh, great saint and a great hero. And the Sarah Mashkim and Sarah Oifim were also not such great Sadikim. But the same concept you also have in Kedusha. Vihine, to understand this, he starts explaining. Yesh Dalid Yisoydus Benefesh Adam, Eish Ruach Mayim Afer. In classic philosophy, you already have this in Medrash, you have this in Zoya, you have it in Sefer Yitzira, uh, you have it in Rambam at length. They saw the world as made up of four components. They called it four Yisoydus, four foundational elements. Eish Ruach Mayim Afer. It's literally translated as as fire, air, water, and earth. In today's uh, literature, they try to translate it a little different, maybe to make it compatible with uh, some understanding of uh, chemistry today. Science, huh? science, You'll have... Uh, uh, matter, antimatter, gas, energy, positive, negative. I mean, this is uh, solid. So you have Aish, you have Ruach, you have mayim and you have offer. So you have solid, you have liquid, you have gas, and you have energy. But the concept is one that doesn't only apply physically. In Kabbalah, it's brought the Dalit Yisoydus, the Dalit Shem Havaya, the four worlds, Atzilus Bri Yitzir In other words, Reb Chaim Vital writes in Shari Kedusha that all the middas of a person could be traced back to one of the four components, Eish Ruach Mayim Afar. That's why he says, this Dalad Yisoyed is a Nefesh Adam, and the soul is also four components. Eish Ruach Mayim Afar. Yisoyed Ha'eish Meshkanei Belev. The element of fire dwells primarily in the heart. Passion. Mekar Halechus, the source of moist, is Mehamayach, from the brain, Shashamu Mishkan Yisoyed Hamayim. That's the dwelling of the component of water. Cool, reflective, considerate, relaxed, calculated. Horea, you have the lungs. 
שאיבס כל מיני משקה ולכוס מהמויח, עידי הקונה, לקרדס חיים הלב. The lungs draws, it draws forth all the subtle moist and liquid from the brain through the windpipe in order to cool the heat of the heart, to fan, to relax the heat of the heart. And then there's the offer which he doesn't address right now. So you addressed Aish, primarily connected to the heart, Mayim, primarily connected to the mind, to the brain, and uh, <coughs> and then the Ruach, the ear, so to speak, to cool the heart, he associated with the lungs. But this is not just talking about the, the body or even the animal soul, it's also the godly soul is made up of four components. There's the Mayim, and there's the Eish, and there's the Ruach, and there's the Afar. Reb Chaim Vital writes in Shari Kedusha, and it's quoted also in Tanya in the first chapter, that the different middas could be associated with the Dalad Yisoydas. Chaim Vital writes, he says famously, that Kaas and Gaiva, anger and arrogance, are always associated with uh, Yisoyd Ha'esh, fire. He says, Lutzonus uh, um, and Atzvus are Yisoyd Ha'afar. Depression and cynicism are earth. Because cynicism and depression are seen as very close. Actually, no. I'm sorry. Atzlus and Atzlus, yeah. Atzlus and Atzlus are from the offer. Laziness, sluggishness, and depression are from the Yisaid HaOffer. Litzonis, Espaitis, Dvarim Betelem, is Yisaid HaRuach. Idle talk, boasting, uh, making fun of people, Levity. not cynicism. Levity. Yeah, promiscuous, just light talk that have no substance, you know, that comes from Yisoyed HaRuach, here. And then you have, Yisoyed HaMayim is Yisoyed HaTaiva. Because Mayim HaTzmichim kol minei tainuk. That's what Reb Chaim Vital says famously in Shari Kedusha. Is that an Eitz Chaim? Not an Eitz Chaim, Shari Kedusha. Reb Chaim Vital has a sefer called Shari Kedusha. Or Shar HaKedusha it's called sometimes. That's what, that's what he says there. Here he's addressing it a little bit of a different mahalach. So he tells, even the Nefesh HaLekis, you have these four Yisoydas. Yisoyd HaMayim B'Moyach, Hibchinus Chachma V'Daz B'Avoydus Hashem B'Moycheb Machshavt. Yisoyd HaMayim in the Nefesh HaLekis is serving Hashem with Chachma and Daz. In other words, it's a very mindful experience. You're using your brain, you're using your thoughts. Ah, you'll ask a question. The Zoyar famously says, no thought can grasp him. So when you're dealing with Avodah Hashem, with God, what do you mean you serve him with your mind? What does the mind do? What does the mindfulness help? No thought can grasp him. He says, The answers are, the kasha is a kasha, and the answer is an answer. The Pasuk says, We say this in Eish Chayel, Mishlei. The end of Mishle, chapter thirty-one of Mishle. Noida b'sha'orim b'ilo b'shiftoi imzikne oritz. Literally, it means we speak about the woman of valor who really lifts up her husband and uh, turns him into the person he's capable of becoming. If you're lucky to have that Aisha's chayel, or you probably have it. If you're lucky to see in your wife that Aisha's chayel, <laughs> that's already a different madrega to be able to perceive it. V'yesh, I mean, there's a shita that it's, Mishle Lamed Aleph was the hespit 
that Avram Avinu gave by the Levaya of Sarah. It's brought in Svarim. Vayavi Avram lispid Sarah, he said, Eishas Chayel, by the Levaya of Sarah. And Shleim HaMelech recorded it. But I'll call upon him, Eich Shaloyiya, huh? We sing it by the Chasana. Noida Basha'orim Baila means her husband is known in the gates. Gates were basically, as Rashi says, that's where the Batei Din, that's where the Supreme Courts, the courts sat by the gates of the city. Her husband is known by the great people, by the great uh, men of renown. He teaches here from the Zoyar, Noida Basha'orim Baila, her husband is Hashem. Hashem is known, but always Basha'orim. Noida Basha'orim Baila. Hashem is known by Sha'orim. Noida comes from the word Yoda. Vaha'odam, Yoda is Chava. Yoda is Chava means he had intimacy with Chava. He didn't know Chava, he didn't do a paper on Chava. He had relationships, one is Zivug with Chava. That's why she becomes pregnant. Noida Basha'orim Baila. You can, everyone has intimacy with Hashem, Basha'orim, through Shi'urim. What's Pshat? Noida Basha'orim Baila, Kol Chad Lefim what God means to one person, it cannot mean to another person. Emes, leis machshavet visebe klal. So l'chayda, where does the mayach come in here? He says, kol chad, every person has their own experience of Hashem. In other words, when two people speak about God, it's not two gods, but it's two perceptions, two experiences. My experience can't be your experience. There's no such a thing in chayvas halavavas, in the spiritual life, that there's uniform identity. Because every person is different. So therefore it has to be Basha'arim. What Hashem means to you, how you experience Him in your deepest soul, can't be how I experience Him. David HaMelech says in Tehillim, we say it Shabbos morning in many Kehillahs, in the Sukkim before Baruch, the, the Mizmarim before Baruch Sha'amar, Hashem, So the, usually the emphasis is on what? I know that Hashem is great. And our Master is greater than all the gods. But the beginning of the Pasuk is equally significant. Mm-hmm. I know. The way I know, you can't know. And the way you know, I can't know. Because Yadati, we can have the same information, but not the same intimacy, not the same Das. The way it touches you, it can't touch me. That's based on Hergish? And that's based yes. on yeah, it's, 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 it's your relationship. Your relationship has to do with your life experience. It has to do with your chemistry. It has to do with your brain makeup. It has to do with your soul. It has to do with your journey. It has to do with who you are. You could teach the data. I could teach, I could share it. But the uh, the, the das, the, 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 the zivug, the chibur of it, the way you connect to something, right? We know two people can hear the same information. For one person, it means the world. And another person, they didn't even notice it. Yeah, this happens all the time, yeah? You say something one person hears, it affects them to the core, it could change their life. The other person is like, what? <laughs> okay, what does that have to do with? The information they both heard. But one person was in the space where they could hear it. The other spa- person was in a space they can't hear. It doesn't mean anything to them. Right? You can hear the same information. For one person it's meaningless. For one person it means everything. That all has to do with who you are. It's not about the information. So that's why he asked the question, what's Pshat serving Hashem with your mind? Less machshavet says, Kol chad noida basharim baila every person from Shura Delay. Every person from Shura Delay. So this means that all spiritual growth has to do with people understanding that there's no two people who have the same spiritual experience. There's no two people who have the same experience of Hashem. If it's to be internalized. 
If it's to be external, then everyone has the same experience. You could do the same thing. But in, in, in an internal space, there must be diversity. There must be diversity because my internal space is not your internal space. Unless we can create a society where everybody is identical. Well, but we already established yeah. that the Dirt of Flugger failed. So uh, in 2016, despite uh, many attempts of great people among us, it's probably not going to succeed again. If that's what you heard, then that's... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And you cut down their, their view of what you just said, you're going to have a consensus. Yes. You're not going to have an identity. Right. One day, when we all grow up a little bit, the right thing for me would be now to stop and ask every person to share what God means to them in their deepest space. And what is the thing about God that makes them most afraid, upset, angry, or loved? That would be the proper thing to do now. That would be the that would be the proper thing to do in order to understand what the Balatanya is saying. Because I'm just saying words. But to understand what he's saying, there has to be das. If it be das, people have to actually see what goes on in people's hearts in a very deep space. But for that, we have to have trust for each other. Courage. 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 Also, no kids they have to marry off. No kids they have to get into yeshiva. No girls they have to get into seminary. No parnasa that you're dependent on anybody else. No shul that's gonna. Well, 18 for she will accept you. Etc. 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 Okay. So once all that's done, you'll come back and we'll do it. <laughs> But no, this is a very serious idea. It's it's uh, it's not. I'm saying it with humor, but it's uh, it's a very important idea. This element he's saying, but both the Aish and the, and the, and the He's talking about the Mayim. Hamayim, Chachm and Das. what what is Lefum Shura Delay? What what are we even beginning to deal with? What what is it? What's this God that we're talking about Lefum Shura Delay? In other words, you can just describe Hashem as as the Creator of the world and stop asking questions, right? I mean, our classic education. Right? What do you learn in yeshiva? He created the world, he's the boss, he made a contract, it's called Torah. It's not 9 to 5, it's 24-7, 365 days a year. It goes, there's a few days that are very serious, a few days that are not so serious, um, uh, and uh, you follow the contract, it's good, you don't follow the contract. What happens to the Isaac? You're out. <laughs> what happens? You want to describe Okay, everybody knows. His face described it. So what's the, where's the individuality here? In, what's, what, what's individuality in experiencing God? There's no individual. Where's the individual? What's the individuality here? We have a boss, and he made a contract, and you listen. Right? So, what, so you're more in the mood, I'm less in the mood? Okay, so fine. That's how it works. I'm more motivated, I'm less motivated, I like the system more, I hate the system more. This one has doubts, this one doesn't have doubts, this one just is obedient, this one is not obedient. What's the real saying that's a different experience of Tum Shura Dulei? The Pshat, of course, is because we're talking here about a meditation, about a mindfulness. His is always a mindful meditation from the word Bina. We're talking about understanding and experiencing the divinity that pervades all. The Yisoyed is that G'dulasa Yisbaruch, G'dulasa means His presence, His divine energy, extends, L'mayla Adin Ketz, you can go up as far as you want, infinite, but you can also go down as far as you want, infinitely. In other words, there's no space where you can't find God. 
Because wherever you are, in the highest space or in the lowest space, you're in reality. And the definition of reality in its core is the divine. Ein oid malvada. Ein oid malvada doesn't mean there's no other God outside of him. It's obvious from his commentary generally everywhere that Ein oid malvada here too means that there's nothing else outside of him. In other, why, how, what do you mean there's nothing else? There's me and there's you. That's just kibiruach piv kol This we say in, the, in Tehillim, bidvar Hashem shamayim nasu, right? Uver, tehillim lamed gimel. Also Shabbos. Bidvar Hashem shamayim nasu, uveruach piv kol Meaning, everything, all the legions, all the troops, all the nevroyim of the world are essentially an embodiment, a manifestation of ruach piv, which literally means the ear, the breath of his mouth, but it's a metaphor of the divine energy which the Torah for some reason compared to words and letters. What's behind it in this passage? That, that, that shiur of each one? The yes, in other words, that, because kabila mayla den kets, kabila mata den tafos, where a person is... For some per- one person, it's in a very abstract, transcendent, sophisticated way, and it goes higher and higher and higher. But as high as you go, adin ketz, there's there's a recognition of elikus, and as low as you go, lamata adin tachlus, a person is in the dumps, a person is an emotional wreck, a person feels despair, everything is going wrong. Uh, you're you're terrorized by your addictions, by by habits, by crushes, by obsessions, and you could find there too the divine energy. There's no point that you say I'm too low to find God or I'm too high to need God. <laughs> I'm too high to need God. I'm, I'm pretty good. You know, I'm a healthy guy. I'm healthy. I made a couple of dollars yesterday. I'm successful. Yeah, my kids don't hate me. I'm good. I don't need therapy. Huh? Yeah, relate. To connect. To be able to connect. To be able to find... <laughs> That, that your energy, that moment, is divine. And then, even deeper than this, and to understand that everything in his presence doesn't have a distinct significance, would be like the words of a person. The words of a person, once they come out of us, they have a lot of significance. Once I speak, I can't bring back my words. When your words are still in you, not only your book, they're completely absorbed in you, and they don't have like a separate significance out of you. You don't sit by a chair and you say, okay, this is me, and these are the words that are in me. (laughs) The words that are in you, that is, it's it's in you, it's going to come out of you, that means it was you, it was in you, if it wasn't in you, it can't come out of you, but it doesn't have a separate articulated reality outside of you. So since everything is He's there, he's present, and the whole energy of the world is only his dibur. So the dibur is still in him. So therefore you could say, that essentially, at every moment you can have intimacy, not only with God's energy, but with God himself. Because the dibur is never a chatzitza, it's never a hefsek between his essence and his manifestations. That's even a deeper idea in Noida Bashar and Baila. You, don't even, you can even skip through all the processes and you could go to the core itself, because... The Dibur never really left him. And this he maintains. Every person can, can, can somehow experience, can somehow, Ladas means to know, Lahasik means to comprehend, but Lafum Shuradele. Lafum Shuradele means don't compare two people. Every person can somehow, this can be brought to every person's life. That in every situation that they're in, every situation that they're in, wherever they are, a relationship with their core self. They can have a relationship with their core self. That's what it really means. 
that in every real moment you're in, you can have a relationship with your core self. You're not alienated from yourself. And what does it mean you're not alienated from yourself? You're not alienated from your true self. What's the true identity of the human condition? It's the Ruach Piv Kotzvam, it's the divine energy. And the reason is, why, why am I maintaining this? The reason is, Ki ein oid because whether you're going to heaven above, it's einoid v'cholel, yoinim v'atachtoinim heimnim shachim eruach piv yizbarech ve'ein dover chutz mimen. All the higher realities, all the lower realities, are all an embodiment of his energy, and therefore there's nothing that's chutz mimenu, and that includes you. So there's no space, there's no encounter, there's no moment that the person says, I'm an outcast, I'm lost, I'm detached, I'm alienated, I'm ungodly. The very I is divine. So you don't need to build a relationship with God. On the contrary, you need to discover that that's who you are. You need to discover you think you're disconnected. But essentially a person is connected. And since everything is Ruach Piv, in other words, it's his Dibur, and his Dibur is always in him, so therefore it's really all him himself. This is Yisoyed Hamayim. Yisoyed HaMayim is mindfulness that includes any of these ideas that were discussed. When a person could really relate to life on this level, this is what's called Yisoyed HaMayim of the Nefesh Elikis. It's really a reflective experience. It's a mindful experience. Yisoyed HaEish, you have the element of fire. Fire is HaTzimoyen Shabalev. This is thirst. The soul, the, pa- the passion, the thirst. Once the heart perceives this truth, This man was a real mystic. And therefore his soul yearns, he craves with a tremendous love, with a fire to go out in the light of Hashem and His unity, he's frustrated by the detachment. He's frustrated by the sense of, of, of separateness. He doesn't want to be below. This is what a fire flame looks like. You'll never have a flame content, smug, complacent. Tell the flame, relax. You have wick, you have oil, relax. A flame is always swaying, always up, uh, swaying upwards, licking the ear, trying like to kiss heaven. He's saying, he's saying the Aish is trying to kiss heaven. It wants to depart from the wick. It has this tremendous thirst to be able to be included in this, in this oneness. But the Aish follows the Mayim. Because if a person really doesn't relate to this as a truth, then what thirst is there? There's no thirst, there's no Aish, there's no fire. But this is really a yearning to, to be in that space of oneness. I don't want to be outside of that space. And sometimes people, their whole life, they have this thirst. They just don't know, they never knew how to articulate it. They know that nothing works for them. Nothing works for them. The superficiality of life, including sometimes of religious life, present company excluded, <coughs> never worked for them. So they have this fire. So sometimes this is expressed through frustration. Because when you know you're looking for something and you don't know what it is and you can't find it, so you're just frustrated but the frust- and, and you become cynical. But the frustration and cynicism is really very idealistic. Some cynicism is unhealthy, some cynicism is idealistic because it's cynicism that comes from too much pain. And when there's so much pain, you don't want to be hurt again, so you just let go. You just like, you don't have hopes anymore because you don't want the hopes to be shattered. You know, you try too many times. But really, 
really, if you can dig into it, what is it? It's really a very deep thirst. It's a deep fire. But it's very hard to live with a fire and then not have it quenched in any way, not have it met. So therefore, the person sometimes goes to the other extreme. They're passionate in their cynicism. Right? Like somebody once said, the Christian priest once said about Jews, he says, all Jews are religious. He said, it's not true. He says, you don't understand. Even Jews who are atheists, they deny God with religious fervor. <laughs> but they're religious. They're always religious. They don't know how, Jews don't know how to be not religious. They, they, they either love it or they hate it. I heard once from Eli Wiesel, Olive Shalom, that Jews know how to love God or hate God. They don't know how to ignore God. In other words, there's always an ish. The question is how it's translated. So here it's translated in the full in the full experience. But sometimes, I'm sure some of you know people, you even may know that person from the mirror, that your whole life there's a thirst. Something is, is, is off. But I don't know to what. What is it? What is it for? Because I, I don't know. So I think it's this, I think it's that. So one, one year you're into this, another year you're into this. Some people every year they get into something else. <laughs> called spiritual fads, spiritual fads, simply to numb, you know, to numb the pain. Okay, so it's better, it's better than some other things we know that people do to numb the pain. Uh, it doesn't kill brain cells. But, uh, but the concept is, a person has to be able to articulate what the ish is for, <coughs> what the person is really searching for. This is Yisoyda ish of the Nefesh Alikas. It cannot deal with the separation, the fragmentation. The age doesn't want to be lamat. It wants to be miyuchet in the sense of in the achdus, which is there, but he wants to experience it. Mayim is not ish. Mayim goes downward. Water will always look for the lowest uh, lowest space to descend. Ish is always going up. Meaning, the Gemara says, What does this mean? Yeshaya Hanavi says, Hoi, like, like we say, Oi, let every thirsty person go drink water. That's Yeshaya Hanavi. So the question obviously is, you need Yeshaya the prophet to tell you that if you're thirsty, you should go drink water. The so Balatanya is explaining how he understands the Pasuk here. You're not, Mayim is Torah, Torah and Mitzvahs. You're not thirsty for Torah and Mitzvahs. You're thirsty for a spiritual connection. So you might think Mayim is not the way to go. That's the Chiddush of Yeshaya Hanavi. You're thirsty for Achdos. You're thirsty for Einoid Malvadai. L'chula Mayim go to the water. And the structure of Torah and Mitzvahs is not up, it's down, it's Mayim. The Gemara Babakame in Mayim El because it focuses on a concrete, organized, structured life. So the how does it work for Tzimoyin? It doesn't work for Tzimoyin. Tzimoyin is your fire, you want to go up, you want to depart from the wick. Mayim says, Bal Hashem wants you to be alive. In other words, He wants you to be Lamata. So there's an Eish, and then there's the Mayim that relaxes the Eish. It quenches the thirst of the Eish. What connects the brain to the heart? For this you have the lungs. Who, I mean, you have the windpipe. You have the windpipe that he addressed earlier. The trachea. This represents the source of the letters of Torah. Which is the same letters as Kona. 
This is called the butler. Through which the reya extracts, draws moist from the brain and then uses it to cool off the heart. The oisius hatayra, represented by the kone, knei chachme, knei bina, allows the mayim to fan and, and cool the flames of the ash, that the person shouldn't experience a complete uh, frustration with this world to a point of kabi of klois anefesh. Rather, the search, the understanding that that the person ought to come down. In other words, Hashem wants you, He wants you in your body, He wants you in a fragmented universe where you have to negotiate unity. And that's the structure of Torah Mitzvah, which is the Yisoyed HaMayim. Ein Mayim ala Torah, Hoichol Tzome Luchul HaMayim. That ultimately waters quenches the thirst. That Rishaya Navi says, there's a lot of ways to deal with thirst. But if you want to know the real, real ways, Luchul HaMayim, ultimately through Mayim, through Torah, you'll be able to quench the thirst. Even though you might say, how can this quench the thirst? I'm looking for absolute transcendence, or what some people call Nirvana. One and all, and all in one, and I, I dissipate into a, a state of nothingness, and that's where some people get their deepest spiritual connection. So it would be counterintuitive, but that's the whole chiddush of Yeshaya Hanavi that Hoichal Tzamei. I know you're Tzamei, but don't get lost in the Eish Lechula Mayim. What you need now is the Mayim, which is a Mayim Alatayda, which is connected to the Mayach Yisoid Hamayim. Which goes not milmata lamayla, but milmayla lamata. It's the opposite direction to be able to find truth where you are, to be able to find God where you are, to be able to introduce that truth into the space of the world. That's the contrast of the mayim and the esh, the moyach and the lev, which is contributed through the reya, the lungs and the kana, which allow that link, that synthesis, to happen in a powerful way. So here we are introduced. The first step to the Sar HaMashkim, the, the butler of Paroi, the Sar HaMashkim connected to Mashke, connected to, uh, to, to, to liquid, to beverages, the way, not, a, the, not the way it is in Paroi's palace, but the way it is in the holiness, in the holiness of a person. Okay, so the opening of the Maimir we started, analyzed... Um, what's called two components, Yisoyed Ha'esh and Yisoyed Hamayim in Avaydas Hashem. Yisoyed Ha'esh represents passion, thirst, yearning. Yisoyed Hamayim represents uh, resolution, uh, tranquility, and uh, serenity that cools off, it fans, it, it relaxes the fire and the thirst. And uh, they're associated spiritually speaking, and I guess biologically speaking, with the heart and the brain. The heart is considered the primary residence of the Yisoyed Ha'esh, and the brain is considered the primary residence of the Yisoyed Hamayim, which spiritually represents two different motions. One is contemplative, thoughtful, reflective. It's about the mindfulness, of the way different people think and experience what Hashem means for them. And uh, he gives the general meditation that every person then ought to apply 
to themselves according to their capacity of understanding and spiritual sensitivity. The concept that um, the divine energy pervades everything, upwards infinitely and downward infinitely, that means in every space it is, and even furthermore it's like the dibur, and the dibur in the presence of the person himself is, doesn't have an independent uh, reality and significance, which means at every moment there's a possibility for a relationship with Hashem in the most intimate space without any barriers. Even the words, even the words which represent the world never create a real chatzitza between you and the essence of truth at any single moment, which is the key to be able to uh, overcome, not ignore, but overcome, or transcend all of the barriers and uh, thoughts and confusions that sit in people's minds, which essentially are a distraction or a chatzitza between the truth that there's a relationship right now between Hashem and His essence and you are whichever space whichever space you're in. Then there is the thirst when a person really realizes this. There's a thirst, there's a yearning to be able to be included in this oneness. That's the Eish that goes Malmata Lamaila. And then there's the Mayim that goes Malmaila Lamata, which focuses downward, not upward. So there's the motion in the human being where I want to go away from where I am. I want to transcend where I am. I want to go away from the wick and I want to kiss heaven. And then there's the polar opposite motion, which is the Yisait HaMayim, which relaxes the Eish by introducing God where you are. That you have to be able to find your relationship where you are. And that's generally the function of Torah and Mitzvahs, which speaks to the human condition on earth, not to the human condition in heaven. Most of Torah deals with material reality. Most of Halacha deals with material subjects. Most mitzvahs are about gashmis, whatever it is. The halachas of boider are dealing with onions and chalent and rice and soda bottles, which are as material and mundane, cheesecake and cream and carrots and bones. Just giving an example, in other words, you're applying the will of God, which is essentially undefined and infinite, to bones of a piece of fish. Now, it sounds very strange, but that's the whole idea of the mayim, that you come downward rather than upward. So those are the two components of Mayim and Eish. And you have the windpipe and the lungs, which are considered the Kona and the Reya, the windpipe, the Trachea, and the Reya, the lungs, which are considered here the link between the Yisoyed HaMayim of the, of, the, of the brain and the Yisoyed HaEish of the, of the Lev, just like we know that the function of the lungs is, of course, to oxygen, oxygenate. Did I say that right? Okay. To oxygenate the blood cells, in other words, to give to give ruach, as he says, ruach, to bring in the ruach, the what we would call oxygen, in order that all the blood cells should be able to have the oxygen that they need, and that's the function of the reya that cools off. In other words, cools off here doesn't mean, yeah, it also re, it's it's also very relative for, for temperature and humidity and all that and how it affects the body. It's quite critical. And, uh, and it, it brings the right ruach, the right energy, the right oxygen into the blood, just like it releases, uh, what is it, the carbon dioxide, it releases the, the oxygen, the ruach that you have to release. And that comes back up into the lungs and ultimately you, you, ex- you exhale it. Another one of the great wonders of, of a person to realize how, what happens when you inhale and what happens when you exhale and you never take it for granted again. 
what the body does with uh, with the inhaling and the exhaling, especially when the temperature outdoors is in a one way or another way, and how the body responds. Another uh, grand miracle that happens literally every millisecond of uh, of your existence. So spiritually speaking, it's the Reya and it's the Kone. The Kone, he says, is Knei Chachma, Knei Bina, Pasuk and Mishle, which represents Oisis HaTayra, Chachma and Bina, that connect the Mayim to the Eish through the Ruach, represented by the windpipe and the lungs, which are connected through that to the to the Mayach. Huh? Oh, for not yet. So now the second paragraph. We come now to the dream of the butler which he presents to Yosef. And what does he say? Remember, Yosef is in prison and he sees two people and they're depressed. One morning, and Yosef turns to both of them and he says, Why do you look sad today? Why do you look depressed? People uh, gloss over that detail in Parshas Vayeshev. Really, that may be the crux of the story. Yosef becomes the Prime Minister of Egypt because he interprets Pari's dreams and Pari's pleas. And the reason he interprets Pari's dreams is because the butler told Pari that imprisoned is this great man who knows how to explain dreams. But the reason he knows that Yosef knows how to explain his dreams is because he shared his dreams with Yosef. But the reason he shared his dreams with Yosef was... Because Yosef saw that he was depressed, and Yosef said, Why do you guys look dejected? Why do you look down? Why do you look bad? When you think about it, how many people sitting in prison for 12 years, or for 10 years, and they see two people who are on death row, <laughs> in a dungeon in Egypt? This is, you know, it's not a, it's not a democracy. Egypt wasn't a democracy then, it's a shady democracy now. And you see two people, one guy's going to be executed soon. And they're not uh, your tribe mates, they're not your family, and they're depressed. And they're depressed in prison. And you go over to them and you say, Why do you look down? What can I do for you? That's what Yosef does. It sounds like he is this jolly, uh, happy-go-lucky, he has no burden in the world, and it's this kid, what he suffered, right? But he's happy, and now he looks at two Gentiles and he wants to know why you're miserable. Why you're miserable. People wouldn't even go into a Bismedrish in the morning and look at the Bachim and say, why are you guys miserable? Like, of course, what should we be? I would think of going at 7 o'clock in the morning to a Bismedrish, looking at all the boys, you know what they look like early, you remember what they look like early in the morning? It takes a few hours, right, till you, uh, you know, till you eat a few cheese danishes and uh, you warm up. In the best case scenario, even if they're not, who says, It tells you about Yosef a lot. And also tells you that that question ultimately saved the world from devastation. In other words, going over to two people who are locked up and asking them, why do you look depressed? And what can I do to help you? That changed history. And uh, this is an important idea, but it's, I'm introducing it here. Because as you'll see, this is going to become a big theme here, in a different context. That the Sar HaMashkin tells Yosef his dream. And what's his dream? It's a longer dream, but the Nekuda of the dream is that the Sar HaMashkin says, there's a vine in front of me, a grapevine, a geffen. And the geffen produces, uh, produces branches, it produces leaves, and ultimately produces fresh, beautiful, vibrant cluster of grapes. And I take the grapes, and I, the eschite, I squeeze them, and I fill up the, 
I fill up goblets of wine and I place the goblet, the kais, on the on the kaf, on the hand of Parai. And Yosef interprets it as a very promising dream that he'll be restored to his position and so forth. The premise of this mimer was that every reality in Chumash can be interpreted on one level and on another level, physically and spiritually, concretely and metaphysically, in this, in this plane and also on a higher plane. Zelu umazah aselikim. They say that the Mittler Rebbe once, the son of the Balatanya, after his father passed away, said the first year was Purim. So he was in Shul and the Megillah was being read. Now his father used to read the Megillah. The Balatanya was a Balkhari. He would read Shabbos and Yomtev and Purim, etc. But that year was after his Ptiris. Obviously they had a higher Balkhari. The Seder then in the Shuls was, I think till today in some places, that people would give a tip to the person who read the Megillah. There was like a bucket and people would put in money. It was like a way of supporting the, the person who read the Megillah. So after the, the heard the Megillah, put him at night, the middle of the son of the Balkhari, his name was Rabdoiv Ber walks out and he gives a huge contribution to the Balkaira. He was a person who was at very poor means, it was known. So uh, everybody was shocked. So the third verse does, he says, Aza Shena Maisa? Aza Shena Maisa? The Megillah is such a beautiful story you gave us. <laughs> Unbelievable. So somebody looked at him and said, Yilmedeinu Rabbeinu, I mean, you've heard this story... Uh, Many, many, many years. My father read the Megillah, it was a different story. Hashverish was a different Hashverish, Hamo was a different Haman, Bixam Vasadish, different Bixam Vasadish, Parshandosa. So he says that you have Saramashka, Mikdusha, Pani, Mikdusha, etc. Here, finally, I heard it was a nice uh, fiction, a nice novel, a nice drama, but put him, so he, deserved, he deserved a big tip. But the Nakuda is that it, it, it wasn't Stam a joke. In other words, in his father's words, he heard something else. You know, that you, two people could say the same thing, but it's a different story, it's a different message. Like we discussed. So we have now the Chalim going to be interpreted on a deeper level. I squeeze out the grapes. I place the goblet of wine from the grapes that I just squeezed out on the hand of Pare. Pare is holding his calf, the palm, he opens the palm of his hand, and I place the cup on Pare's hand. Pirush, what does this mean on a deeper level? Gefen, Nikri Knesset Yisro. Gefen, we have in Tehillim, Gefen Mimitzrayim Tassia. You took out the Gefen, the vine of Egypt, it represents Knesset Yisro, the gathering of Jewish souls. Sheklolos kol The vine encompasses all souls. But then you have grapes. Grapes are individual grapes that grow on the vine, on the grapevine. Ha'anovim heim nitzutzei The grapes represent the sparks of souls. Shekol onov, shekol nitzutz nikri b'shem onov echad. Every spark is a grape. What's the connection between a grape and a soul? You say the vine represents the klolos of the neshamas. But from the vine come many multiple grapes, individual grapes. Each grapes have their cluster, the cluster that it's hanging on to. Why is every grape called one nitzitz, one aspect? Because in every spark of every Jewish soul, there is wine. The Pasuk says, The Tanakh calls yayin, yayin is a beverage that brings joy to God and brings joy to men. Now we know that wine brings joy to people. 
people drink and they enjoy it. What's Pshat Yayin HaMesamech Eloikim V'Anoshim? So he says, the Pshat of Yayin is, it represents Shubchines Avim Mesuteris Lismoyach Bashem. In every single soul, there is a hidden love. Which basically, what does it mean you love somebody? That you can rejoice with them. That being with them causes you simcha. That's the basic definition of Ava. What does it mean I love you? I love you. I love being with you. I, I celebrate your existence. I celebrate your presence. Automatically everything you say is brilliant. But the point is not what you say. The point is I like being with you, right? We know sometimes you could be with a person for, uh, for seven years and uh, you, you're craving for more time. And sometimes you're with a person for five minutes, and you're like, When can I say a Baruch Shepatrani? Right? You could be sitting there, somebody on a plane, you have mazel, right? You're going to Israel, you're sitting there, somebody on a plane, and like the Ebersh does always sit. I think we spoke about it once. Chaim Shmulevich is Shmuz. And then sometimes you can't get enough of a person. It says about Yaakov and Rachel. Seven years passed like uh, a few days. Why? Because he loved her. So when you love somebody, so you can't get enough. You just want to be and be and be. It's not about time. You go to a place that's beyond time. So the Jew wants to spend time with God. Now how many people you know want to spend time with God? <laughs> Many people, as little as possible. That's why people get very excited by plug. I told you once. The excitement by plug is very tangible, especially by Mayrif. Especially in the winter. Because basically, what is it, a quarter to four? And you're done till tomorrow morning. Can you imagine there's no religion from 4 p.m. for the next 16 hours? How often do you have that in Judaism? For 16 hours, you're on vacation. You're off, barbecue, go go have fun. We'll see you tomorrow by Vasikin or whenever you're going to show up. Maybe tomorrow you'll come later for Shachris too. But the point is, some people daven because they want to finish davening. And some people daven because they never want to finish davening. That's the most natural place to be. So every Jew has to daven. So you get, everyone davens. But why do you daven? Why are you you're davening to finish davening? Because you can't finish if you don't start. <laughs> so you have to start in order to finish. But the tachlis is to finish. And once you're finished, fine. He's talking here about l'smoyach b'ashem. That's called yayin. Ha'mesamech l'kim v'anashem. It's the one that the simcha that connects l'kim v'anashem. That av exists, but it may be concealed. That's why every soul is called a grape. Because when you look at a soul, you look at a grape, you don't see wine. But if you press the grape, you'll see the wine. If you go deeper, if you can excavate the depth of the Jew, you'll always find there the Yayin HaMesameach HaLekim V'Anoshem. To the Santa Maisa, they say, the Balatanya, after the Mezritcha Magid passed, he was a Chosu Talmud by the Magid. Magid passed away, Yutas Kislev, Tov Kuf Lamed Gimel, 1772, 12 years after his Rebbe, the Balshamtev. When he passed away, Reb Mendel Haradokar, who authored a sefer called Pri Haaretz, one of the early works of Hasid is called Pri Haaretz by Reb Menachem Mendel. He came from the city called Haradok. He's also known as Vitebsk. He came from Vitebsk. So the Balatanya accepted him as his Rebbe for a few years till he made Aliyah to Eretz Yisrael. Around uh, 14 years later, he went up to Eretz Yisrael. The first group of Hasidim, Talmidei Hagro, went up. 
and the Talmudim of the Magad went up, they settled in Tveria. Baltanya also went up, but Mendel sent him back, he didn't let him go. He said, you have to lead Russia. So he, he went back. He was on his way also. So, uh, so the first Rosh Hashanah, he went to the Menachem Mendel of Vitebsk. So, Yistadava was known in Chabad Rebbe's, they daven the first time of Rosh Hashanah for four hours, Mayrev. So, uh, at least three, four hours. Might have the first night Rosh Hashanah. So, the Mendel Vitebsker finished Might of Rosh Hashanah, and he went home, and he had the Suda, and all this, a lot of Talmudim were there. And he wants to make Kiddush, and the Balatanya is not there, and he had tremendous respect for him. So, he said, where is he? So, they don't know. So, he asked somebody if he could go check in Shul. The person went to check, and he said, uh, he's davening in Shul. It's already late. So, he comes back, and so he decided to go himself. So Menachem Mendel goes himself to Shul, and he comes back, and he looks at the Olam, and he says, this is his word, he says, Er freit sich mit Nebishten, und Nebishten freit sich mit them. <laughs> he is rejoicing with God, and God is rejoicing with him. Let's make Kiddush. <laughs> er freit sich mit Nebishten, und Nebishten freit sich mit them. That was his lash. That's the, Yayin amesameach elekim v'anosh. You might think this is not me. I'm not. Uh, I'm not this person. So he says it's not even something you choose. It's a Yerusha. This is part of the spiritual gene of the Jewish soul. It's like a genetic mutation that comes already from Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. It's very concealed. Like wine hidden in grapes. The grape is round and smooth and surrounds the wine, the beverage, the liquid from every side. In other words, that it's not just you look at it from a certain angle and you'll see the wine. The wine is completely internal. There's no way to extract the wine. You have to squeeze it. Gas, you know what a gas is, right? Beis gas. you have often in Mishnayis, is a place where they press grapes, where they produce wine. Dricha, you have to trod. Dricha is doirich, to step. Begas, in the wine press. Gas is a wine press. Lahasir may love haklipa Because the grape becomes a shell. A klipa, it's a shell, a shalachts, that surrounds it, and then you get out the wine. But you can't just take out the klipa. You have to press the wine, and then you remove the klipa, and you can't take out the wine. That's why a Jew is called a grape. There's no way you can reveal the secret of love. Matspune comes from the word sofon, like the afikoyman. It's hidden. Today in Hebrew you have matspun as a conscience. But the real word matspun is from the word sofon, concealed. Matsfoyne, the concealed love. There has to be the crushing of the grape. That's why the Mishnah says, be humble before every person. Don't think this means that other people should belittle you. Other people should crush you. You would think, ah, that's the way you'll experience Avas Hashem. Make sure you go visit somebody who will tell you every day that you are worthless. And that will be a great ingredient for Avas Hashem. Mevachim from the word bitush. Levatesh is to grind. Grind, right? Crush. He says, I'm not talking, doesn't mean you should be humble. In other words, that people see you and they tell you that you're worthless. No. This is a mitzvah on you, not a mitzvah on me to make you a shvaruach. If I'm making somebody else a shvaruach, I'm not doing what Chazal are saying. 
I'm doing what I want to do for my own issues. The heve, they're talking to the person himself. You should be a humble person. That's a very key distinction in life. When somebody says, my mission in life is to crush other people, so they could be mekayim the mitzvah, the heve shval ruach b'fnei So that's my duty. My duty is to tell everybody how worthless they are, how inconsequential they are, how irrelevant they are, how evil they are, how arrogant they are, how horrible they are, and how um, distorted they are, so they'll feel humble. That has nothing to do with this. No way. (laughs) No way. It's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite outcome. When somebody else does it, it's the exact opposite outcome. destructive. What does it mean to do it to yourself? It means you should be humble. <laughs> You'll see in a moment. You'll see in a moment what it means. When his, his point is that it's not that a Vishwar Ruach doesn't mean that a person is mavatal other people, crushes other people. Ve'ave, you're talking to a person that you should create within yourself an openness <coughs> to be humble in the presence. What does it mean to be humble in the presence of it? How could you be humble in the presence of every person? I understand you could be humble in the presence of certain people. How could you be humble in the presence of every bifnei kol adam? That's what the Mishnah says. Vaveshvaruch. So the Tanya asks this question in Perik Lamed. That's how he starts off the question, and he says vehavei is be'emes lamitoy. That's how he starts. Vehavei is be'emes lamitoy. When it says vehavei, it means truthfully vehavei. Often when we read these Mamari Chazal, we often think it's just a uh, metaphor. It's prose. It's it's cute language. Be humble in front of every person. Fine, so you'll have those saints who are humble before all people because they don't, you know, maybe a little naive or they're in the clouds. But there's certain people that you actually know. <laughs> How could you be humble? I can understand I could be humble in the presence of people I don't know. But what about people that I do know? Present company excluded. What about people that you know and you know sometimes that uh, maybe you don't have to feel humble in their presence? So it says, Vehavei be'emes la'mitei. So what he explains there at length is that humility actually comes from expansiveness. Humility comes, great people are humble people. Small people are arrogant people. The greater a person is, the more humble he is. Because the greater a person is, the more you know that you really don't know. When you're small, you think, I don't know because I don't know. But if I learn a little bit, I'll know. Really great people are acutely aware of the infinite mystery in the universe and the infinite mystery in every person. Whenever anybody gets to know somebody, the human psyche is so uh, intricately uh, complex, multifaceted, multidimensional. I don't even know myself. You know me. Even you don't know who you are. You think I'm going to know you? So humility really comes from the idea that a person never understands another person's journey or struggles. And even if you do know their journey, if you didn't experience their journey, you need to really come from a place of humility to learn, to explore, and even be humble in the presence of your own journey. That also causes humility. You even understand everything in your own life. So when a person understands that, it doesn't mean I agree with everybody's behavior. But it means I don't sit on a throne of a feeling of, I am superior than you. 
holier than thou and I have the right to judge you because if you haven't put on my shoes and you haven't been wearing my glasses and you didn't grow up in my home and you didn't go through what I went through at this age or that age or that age, you need to have the humility to be able to stand back and marvel and ask questions more than you answer questions. So that's the idea, and this is anybody. This doesn't mean that person is a saint. doesn't mean that person didn't make terrible mistakes. But it means that whenever you're coming from a place of, of hubris, of uh, inflated ego, of arrogance, it's not coming from uh, intelligence. It's coming on the contrary, from either fear or insecurity, or you really can't see things from a truthful perspective. So when a person understands that, they have a certain humility that allows them to be inquisitive, to be curious, to open themselves up, and to ask questions. I would say one of the greatest plagues in societies is the curse of judgmentalism. Judgmentalism is that when somebody doesn't look like me or agree with me, I right away have to put them down internally, emotionally. What does it come from? That comes from, you think, sophistication and confidence? doesn't come from and confidence. The most confident people are always the most humble people. The most spiritual people are also the most humble people. The most godly people are also the most humble people. Not because they're not abhorred by immoral behavior. They're more abhorred by immoral behavior. But they understand that life is a journey. And they understand that people exist on their journey. And just because you're not me, it doesn't make you less uh, significant. And your choices don't threaten my choices. And the most important thing is that I have to be sensitive to what you're going through. And ask myself, if I would have had your Sahara or your struggles, would have I not behaved in the same way, or maybe what's worth? This is what the Tanya says, Peter Kalaman. He says, sometimes you look at a person, I'll quote you a, a line over there. He has a Yitzhahara that burns like a baker's oven. You ever went to a matzah bakery? You have ovens that are 500 degrees. You have ovens that are 5,000 degrees. You ever put your finger in such an oven? So he says, some people have Yetzirahs, for Sibrent, Ketanur, like a matzah oven. <laughs> you don't have such a Yetzirah, you're lucky. A person, some people, that's what they have. So now, this doesn't mean their choices are correct, but it means don't sit and judge them, because if you would have had even 10% of that passion, where would have you been? You have a mazel, you're antisocial, <laughs> you're cold, you're a bookworm, you don't like people. Okay. <laughs> so you happen, Frumkite works for you. Well, if you're antisocial, it's easy to be. You know, you hate people. You're locked up in a room. It, it helps. It doesn't make you a tzaddik. It just makes you biologically different. Fine. So it's conducive for a lot of things. You also don't know probably how to love much. You also don't know how to be warm. You probably can't. You can't say madua pnechem royim Yosef was a passionate young fellow. There was a reason he had the nisirness he had. Right. So. It's not about if a person is right or wrong. It's about sensitivity to people's journeys, sensitivities to people's challenges. Look at your back. That's what you mean, yeah? yeah? You don't create a leader unless there's a box of dead insects hanging down his back. So whenever he gets arrogant, you tell him, Look, uh, turn around. The Gemara says that's why Shaul didn't survive. He had no skeletons, no demons. David HaMelech wasn't a problem. Every time he got up to give a drasha, somebody said, who was your Elta Baba? She was Jewish, Bechlal. And that was it. <laughs> Every time Moshe Rabbeinu got up to speak, they said, where did you get Smechim? 
Where did you learn? Who was your Rosh Hashiva? Ah, Parai. Interesting. Where did you learn in Valoshin and Slabotka? Where did you learn in Mir? Ah, you learned by Parai. Very nice. And that was it. You understand? There was no problem. So it saved, the Gemara says it saved them. Shoal's problem was he was good. Nobody had a file on Shoal. Everybody, they have files. On Shoal there was no file. He was a perfect kid. Huh? Okay, yeah, Baruch Hashem. With both of these leaders, there was no issue of Kupa Shal Not only Me'achayrev, but also Befanov. You didn't have to tell them, look, around, look back. You could tell them, look. Around. Okay, that was, that's what we were blessed with. Yeah, if only. I think he's asking, how do you become humble yourself? How do you become humble yourself? That's what pressing the grape, crushing the grape means. When you when you you have honest people that you you could you could talk to about who you are, and the main thing is you could speak to yourself. You could speak to your own honesty. That's he says. That's what it means to crush the grape. Crush the grape means not to allow the facades and to superficial husks <coughs> to eclipse what is inside of it. So the grape needs to be pressed, and then you will find the wine. The wine is there. It's not a question if there's wine or not. Don't say you're uninspired, you're, you're, you're fake, you're horrible. That's not true. You have in yourself wine. And wine is mishameyech elikim v'anashim, it's an avam esoteris l'smayach b'ashem. The challenge is the wine is very, very concealed. So what do we do? We have to extract the wine. So he says, v'heve shvaruach b'fnei kaladam v'yu v'heve. And he explains. V'nafshi ka'afal akaltiyah. We say at the end of Shemina Esra, my soul should be like earth. Ka'askupa anidresses. What's offer? Offer is a scoop on addresses when a person uh, the shvel of a door, when you when you step on the threshold, threshold of the door. What what's the point there? You want the person to be crushed? No, you want the wine. A person has a foreskin. It's called an arla that covers the heart. There's the arla that covers the bris that they took care of when you were eight days old. But then there's a much <laughs> a thicker arla that's chayfefes al halev. The heart is unmoved. And the reason the heart is unmoved is because there's a foreskin that covers it. What does that foreskin look like? It can look like cynicism. It can look like pain. It can look like arrogance. It can look like addiction. It can look like fear. It can look like insecurity. But it's all an arla. So sometimes the person becomes very cold and cynical and angry or frustrated or annoyed, but it's really an arla. And the arla I have to remove. That's the klipa that I have to remove in order to extract the wine. The hainu. Now, you have to understand, he's speaking here to people, some of them who were deeply worked out people. The next paragraph is going to peak, speak to a, no, a lower level of people. Even somebody who did not get affected by Chatas Norim. Chatas Norim is translated as the youth of sinful, the, 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 the sins of youth, sinful youths. Usually when it's in Svarim Chatas Norim, it refers to um, uh, mistakes that people make in terms of their intimate lives, in terms of uh, wasteful emission of seeds, and similar situations where a person's intimate uh, modesty is compromised in one way or another. That's called generally chattis norim. It's called youth because that's when you know people's passions are usually raging and they're looking for ways to express it and they're frustrated. So he says, if somebody engaged in that, it creates a foreskin. It creates a foreskin around the heart. Now, even here, I think it's important to appreciate even these words, what he's saying here. How he speaks about Chatos Noorim. In a very, very profound way. The problem is that it creates an Arla that you won't know who you are anymore. Because whenever anybody has an easy outlet 
for loneliness and despair, rather than letting the emotion sit in them, it creates always an arla hachayfefes alaleif. Let me give an example in something a little more benign. Okay. If I'm stressed out, I'm busy, I'm stressed. So what do I do? I go to the pantry, I take something to eat. Even though I opened the pantry 60 seconds ago. But I hope that in the meantime something new was created. Somebody went shopping and maybe stocked it up. So even though I just went there three minutes ago, and I know what the refrigerator has to offer, but you never know. Maybe a Leonovi brought new food. You never know uh, what happened. So therefore you open up and maybe I'll find something. Maybe my eyes will open up and I'll see some great uh, bagel pizza that I haven't observed earlier or whatever. And I eat. What's the problem? The problem is uh, fat. Yeah, that's a problem. The problem is uh, carbs. Of course a problem. The problem is being lethargic, of course. The problem is it may not be healthy, of course. But there's another issue. And sometimes that issue has much more consequences. And that is, I never have a chance to ask myself, why am I so stressed? Because I right away dulled the stress. I right away distracted myself with something that numbed the pain. And whenever you numb the pain, you can never ask yourself the question, why is the pain there? And therefore, how can I deal with it? Now, I'm not talking about sometimes who somebody's suffering from terrible migraine headaches. It's not a mitzvah to sit and wallow in pain, Khalilah. There are painkillers for a reason. But I'm not talking about that type of pain. I'm talking about the pain that comes from a certain void. What, what are you being overwhelmed with? I'm not talking about physical, tangible pain. I'm talking about a pain that is more subtle. It's more emotional. It has to do with your self-perception. Whenever I run to something, it's a great, it's a, it, it, but essentially it's a substance that just distracts me from it distracts me. And as we'll see, that was Noyach's mistake. Noyach came out from the flood. He saw a lot of pain and destruction. So what did he do? He got drunk. Everybody wants wine, but the question is, what are you going to use the wine for? This mime is going to distinguish between three types of wine. There's wine to distract. There's wine to make you joyous. And there's wine to break you down. Here he's talking about now, Yayin HaMesameach. This is even food. You're talking about Chatos Neurim, it's a different type of food. The pleasure of intimacy is the greatest pleasure that Hashem created in the world. The taiva, the tainuk around physical relationships is one of the greatest pleasures in the world, which is why people always gravitate to it. When somebody, therefore, allows themselves to engage in chatas norim, emitting seed in a non-productive way, etc., or similar types of relationships or non-relationships, imaginary relationships, what are they doing? They're activating a very, very profound source of pleasure, which always could numb a very deep source of pain. When you have a deep source of pain, you need a deep source of pleasure to distract you from it. Imagine you wouldn't go there, what would happen? You would have to actually sit with yourself and ask yourself, what's making me so lonely? What's making me so bored? Why do I feel so isolated? And then you can deal with it. When you don't, you create a foreskin that grows and grows and grows and grows. And that's what essentially habit and addiction is. And after years, you look in the mirror and all you know is your foreskin. You don't know anything else. That's the Arla HaChoyfefes Al-Halev. The Arla HaChoyfefes Al-Halev means that sometimes all there is to people is you're not speaking to a heart. You're speaking to a skin over the heart. And you know in relationships, sometimes you speak to somebody and you're not speaking to anybody. 
They have they have wise jokes. They they're on WhatsApp all day. They know all the jokes, but you're not speaking to somebody. You're not speaking to a heart. You're speaking to a foreskin. I don't know how to say that nicely. How do you say it nicely, the Beliezer? Huh? You're speaking to a shell. Very good. A shell of a person. And this could be a very wise person, a sophisticated person, a wealthy person, an educated person. Or they're numb. Or they're numb, but you're speaking to a shell. You're not speaking to a heart. Once in a while you meet a person and they're present. The heart is present. The heart is fully present. Now, when you get up to God, are you present? Or, if when you were six years old, the only way you dealt with God was through a foreskin. You could never open up your heart to Him. You had to close your heart to have a relationship with God to remain religious or whatever it is. So you remain that forever. You remain there forever. He actually never touches you. The you. That's what he's talking about. So he says, even if then I know there's an Arla. What is the Arla? For him, this was a serious Arla. Your heart is on fire to extra things that you don't need in life. Moistress. Moistress means all types of cravings and addictions that are not necessary for a person to live a meaningful life and they're on passion to it. They'll see a, even a meal, whatever it is. This means, basically, they're being distracted. The tragedy here is, enjoy it, but you know what happens? You don't know who you are anymore. You don't know the lakus that's in you. It's completely eclipsed. Even a thin membrane shobchines oid hapriya. The Gemara says hamol v'loy parak ilu loy mol. Those who know about mila, you know, there's two layers. There's the real foreskin. That's number one. But then there's priya. Priya is a thin membrane which you may say is not very meaningful. But he says here, no, it also blocks. When you're, sens- when you're spiritually sensitive to who you are, even a krum dak, even a little tiny membrane, called the oida priya, which will soon be associated with pari, as we'll see, creates a blockage. If you're not, for example, you know, for some people, uh, um, a deceptive conversation <laughs> is called honest. And for other people... Even an honest conversation, if it's not fully honest, it's deceptive. If we had a conversation where we were very loyal to each other, and then something happens and we meet, and we say, Sinishdas, Sinishdas. There was a yeshiva bach, a Labavitcher yeshiva bach, who went in on yechidus to the Labavitcher Rebbe once. So the Rebbe asked him a question. So he answered. So the Rebbe looks at his bach and he says, listen to this. He says, the four cubits here are truthful four cubits. Go outside, remove your garments of lies, and once you're, when you, once you're stripped from those garments, you could come back here. These words you're saying don't belong in these Dalad Amas. There's a sensitivity that a real person of truth has even to a tiny little krumdak in a very intimate relationship, subtleties are more important than 
dense things. The Maggit said, the Torah, he brings, he heard from the Maggit, that Machshav Zoris of Tzadikim, Poigmim Harbi Yoiser Meaveris Chamuris Shorishoyim. Lashon Lukutatayra from the Maggit. Machshav Zoris of Tzadikim are far more painful than heavy sins of Rishoyim. You know why? You know why? Because we're not, if we're not in an intimate relationship, we're not in an intimate relationship. When you're in a very, very intimate relationship, the subtle distortion is much more painful because you gave over your whole soul. And when you gave over your whole soul, and then there's a little distortion, it becomes very, very, becomes very significant. It becomes very powerfully painful. So he says the Jew who really understands this, he's sensitive even to the smallest distraction of the full relationship. So a Jew is divine, full of bubbly, uh, fermented passion and wine and simcha and avatar Hashem. The moment I allow myself to fall prey to the clipper, to the arla, even to moistress, basically I allow myself to indulge in something that's not nurturing my true divine self. For one person it's nothing. It's a joke. <laughs> this is already a mitzvah. It's already a mitzvah. It's already a mitzvah. Big deal, right? But for another person knows that this was a... a, a, a this was a... Uh, Desecration of the relationship. A desecration of the relationship. Eating flaffle with tchina and chumos flowing from your mustache. You ever saw that? With the balls and the salad all over the place. Yeah? Some people call it Oynik Shabbos. <laughs> call it Oynik Shabbos. There was a big chassid. His name was Reb David Haradaker before the war. So he was once talking about this. So somebody said, what, what are you, why are you denigrating it? What are you denigrating? To, to eat, to eat, to eat Machali Shabbos? You have a special hechel in Ganeiden. To eat food with passion, you have a special hechel in Ganeiden. He says, Emes. He says, Emes. You have a place in Elam Haba of a Sishtinkdarten. <laughs> but it's smelly over there. So what's wrong with eating flaffle and tchina? Nothing wrong. But what happens if a chassan under the chuppah takes out a flaffle? Yeah? And starts eating it. Yeah? There's something off. Why? Well, what about a chassan under the chuppah? Hariat Mekadosh Wait, I got a text. One second. <laughs> he starts checking his text. People do it all the time. They're talking to you. Well, wait. But if it's the middle of Hariat Mekadosh there's something very off. Why? You didn't do anything wrong. You sent a text. You checked an email. That's what Jews do all day. Because you do it all day because there's nothing going on in your life. But this is a moment of intimacy. When it's a moment of intimacy, it's a desecration of intimacy. It may not be a big sin. It's a small, no, not a sin at all. It's a desecration of intimacy. If you understand the heart is on that level of love with God, so even a tiny little arla, not chatas norim, he calls it maestris. It's ultimately blocks it. So he's talking here about that Jew who challenges himself to go through the grape and be able to extract the wine. Okay, as we'll soon see in the next paragraph, he says, and then there's a whole other category of people who can't relate to what I'm saying. <laughs> the Magid said that Bachshav Ezodis of Tzadikim are more than... That was the Borah Katana. That's what linked us to the Borah Katana idea. That was, yeah, from, the, was that from the Zohar, the Borah Katana? Was that from... That's from the Balatanya and Tanya, Periklamet. How could somebody be humble in the presence of every person? L'chayda, you know the person, is, his behavior is far more... Uh, you would, he does things you would never do in your life, and it's true, you would not do it. 
He says, the answer is, do you have his struggles? Do you have his heart? Do you have his experience? It's a very, it's just a, uh, it's a sensitivity to truth. It's a sensitivity simply to truth. There was a poet who once said, all envy is really ignorance. All envy is really ignorance. Ignorance. Svasema says, Vehevedonis kol ha'adam lakafschos literally means kol ha'adam every person. He says, Vehevedonis kol ha'adam means whenever you look at a person, you have to see kol ha'adam. You have to know the totality of the person. Totality means their past, their present, their future, their genetic makeup, their background, their struggles, their challenges. This doesn't make them right. <laughs> doesn't make a person right. Just puts me in a space where I don't sit on a throne of holier than thou. You know the holier than thou attitude? Mm-hmm. I'm the good guy and you're all the bad guys. You know? But I'm holier. If I would have been, if I would be in your shoes, I may have done exactly the same thing and maybe even far, uh, far worse. I think this is extremely important, especially today. One sees, I mean, always, I mean, this is about all of history. You know, people make different choices, and some of these choices are very painful. And some of these choices are wrong. And some of these choices may be destructive to themselves. And it's important to be there for them. But when you become judgmental, you ultimately are in a, you're you're in the wrong space, number one. Number two, you also undermine what you really want to do. Because it's very hard for people accept words that come from a place of judgmentalism because if I feel that you're attacking me I'm going to I'm going to put up a bullet vest I'm going to put up a bulletproof vest I'll put on gear I'm not going to listen to you it's just the nature of people it becomes an issue of natschanas so if you actually really care about what they're doing that's wrong the less judgmental you are the far more hope there is that you can actually influence somebody because you're coming from a place of uh, of caring, of love, of affection. So that's what he explains, how you could be And then he adds something else that's also very profound. He says, ask yourself another question. You may not have those struggles, but those mitzvahs or avedas that for you are hard, where you do have a struggle on that level, isn't it true that you also transgress? He says, you don't have this particular issue, Right? But those areas where you do have a struggle, when you have a struggle and the magnitude of that struggle, he said, is it not true that you also fall? So he said, not only, not only are you not holy, you're actually the same. <laughs> it's a very, it's a, it's is a that powerful thing. That's all the Svasemis? No, no, this is Tanya Lamed, Periklam. Svasemis teaches the word kol ha'adam. Kol ha'adam. You have to see the whole person. Not to belabor the point, but... The, the idea, it was the Maggot who said this idea about the Tzadikim, that the, how did he phrase it again? I'm sorry. Is it Lukut HaToyda Baal Loisha? Is it Lukut HaToyda here? Oh, I don't want to distract you. Okay. 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 Ravav means a Talmud Chacham who has a stain on his garment. In other words, if I'm not wearing you know, a white tuxedo, 
you know, I'm coming from, uh, I'm, a, I'm a coal miner, <laughs> or I sell ice cream all day, and there's a stain on my shirt, it's not a problem. But when everything is so perfect, a small revav could be far more uh, damaging than a big revav. So you have the heart of the Kotzker. You know why? Because it's only one revav. <laughs> That's what the Kutzker Rebbe said. It's only one. That's that's why Chayiv Misa. In other words, he's self-conscious. He's busy with his uh, how he looks. Okay, that's the Kutzker Rebbe. You understand? The problem is Chayiv Misa because he only has one revolve. Yeah. Well, I only one. <laughs> okay, that's uh, that's not a bad word. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I could show you later after look. So. Uh, so that's the Nikud. You know, when you have you have a particle of a tiny particle of sand in a very refined lens, <laughs> it's really disruptive for the vision. If you don't have a refined lens, so you have a little dust, right? But when you have uh, when you have a particle of it could be a particle of dust, it's insignificant. When you have it on such a sensitive lens, it could sometimes blur and compromise the vision. So. So here he's talking about somebody who's sensitive even to Oyr Hapriya. Oyr Hapriya is the second foreskin, <laughs> the second membrane on the, on the bris, on the miller. In other words, there shouldn't be any masach, any separation whatsoever, in order to get to the wine, in order to get to the wine that is hidden in the grape. So the Sar HaMashkim has this dream. And the dream is there's a vine. The vine is Neshama Sisra, and every Neshama is a grape. The grape has wine, and wine is the love and the capacity to be able to be mesameach, to be sameach in Hashem, to rejoice with God. But, like wine, it's completely eclipsed by the grape, and one ought to press and crush the grape in order to extract the joyous beverage which we call the wine. And that's the p'china of a havei shfal ruach b'fnei kala adam, not that you should belittle others, but that the person himself should be able to be extremely humble and allow himself to remove all of the foreskins, all of the arlas, the shells that cover the heart, which may not sometimes be from Chathas Nurim necessarily, because he's talking here even a person who is beyond that, but even Libay Bayerum is Avala Moisris, Arlas Lavach. So he continues. What's the next step? I squeezed out the wine. I crushed the grape and squeezed out the wine. I filled it up in a cup and I placed it on the palm of Parai. On a spiritual level, the meaning of this is a posik in Yeshaya. Yeshaya, Novi says, Pedic Memtes, and I'll quote the whole posik. Hain al kapayim chakoisich choimoisayich negdi tomit. Al kapayim, on my hands, on the palms of my hands, chakoisich, I have engraved you. On my hands, I have engraved you. In other words, you're always with me. I'll never ever forget you. On the palm of, you know, you always see the palm of your hands. You see it often. You are engraved. Chakoisich, on the palm of my hands. Vetinus hakois al kapayim, we'll soon see who paro is. But on the hands of Paroi, my cup is there. Uksiv, there's another Pasik. And this is a Pasik in Eoif, towards the end of Eoif. 
Iyav Lamadvav. Al Kapayim Kisa Oir. He quotes the whole Pasuk. Uksiv Al Kapayim Kisa Oir. Vayitzav Aleha Bimav Gia. It's a hard Pasuk to understand. Al Kapay. So you see what he does. In Miketz you have the word Kaf Parai. So he found in Yeshaya Al Kapayim Chakoisich. And in Iyav, because the whole Tanakh is always interconnected. Especially once on every level, pshat, and especially once you hit remez and drush, and never mind soid, it's uh, it's all interconnected. Especially when you have similar words, al kapayim kisa oir vayitzav aleha b'mafgia. So the classic interpretation of mafarshim is that uh, al kapayim on the kapayim are on the clouds. Nisol, we say in Eicharash, he says nisol levavenu el el kapayim. Uh, Al Kapoyim. Um, Rashi says because uh, of Ktana looks like the pasuk says in Malachim that uh, of Ktana kechafish a small cloud is like the palm of a person's hand, or the Mitzuda says it's like a kippa, a yamulke, a dome on the heads of people. So Al Kapoyim on the clouds, kisa oir he concealed uh, his rain. Yoiru Malkash we say in Shmonesra oir is rain. The rain is embedded, is concealed in the clouds, and then by Yitzav Aleha, he commands the rain to come out, Bimavgiya. Bigiya always means Tfilah, right? Vayivgabamakim is Tfilah. Through Tfilah, Rashi says, the lover of the generation prays and has the rain come out. So Al Kapayim on the clouds, which is called Kapayim, is Kisa Oir, the rain is blocked or covered, Vayitzav Aleha, and then he commands on it, he commands the rain to emerge. Bimavgiya through prayer. So he says as follows: Mavgiya zutfila. Kipchines pare bikedusha zelo umaza. Kamoisha pare biklipo klipakasha. Kach zelo umaza pare bikedusha bchines gilia lekusa yisbarach. Loshin priya vehisgalos dvar Hashem. There's two pares. A tale of two pares. There's pare on one level, and then there's pare on another level. Zelo umaza. The word pare comes from the word priya. Priya is right, parua roish, parua lashimtza. Priya by circumcision. Priya means to open up, to open up, to disclose, to expose, to reveal. So Parai on one level is the king of Egypt. Parai in Kedusha, Zalomaza means complete revelation, complete openness. Gilia Lakusi is Baruch. In other words, the wine emerges from the grape. Al Yidei. How does the cup get to the hands of Parai? Through the butler. What is the butler? Mashkim Shobchines Kona. That was the windpipe. Because the coil, the voice, that comes out and emerges through the Kona, through the windpipe, arouses the Kavana to be Sameach, to celebrate Hashem through Davening. Says, I took the cup of wine and I placed it on the hands of Parai, which represents the Kona, the link between the brain and the heart, between the water and the fire. In other words, the minister, the butler, who, so to speak, is responsible to bring the Mayim, to bring the drink, and here in this case, the wine, the Simcha, he leads up the cup of wine. He leads up the arousal of love even beyond the comprehension of the human being to the state of power. What is he saying here? He's giving the spiritual remez of the dream of the Saramashk. 
after explaining that the element of water is in the brick, the element of fire is in the heart, and then you have the windpipe and the lungs that are responsible to create the link between the water and the fire through the ruach, through the ear, through the energy, through the ear, through the oxygen, that the reya and the kona absorb, that the person inhales and ultimately comes down to the heart through the lungs and then uh, gets, travels throughout the whole body. So that's physically. Spiritually what it represents is that a person's avoida to link the mayim and the esh, to link the fire and the water. So he's discussed before, you have mayim is ein mayim elatayna. There's also the element of kone, he said, is oisius atayna, kne chachme, kne bina. But it's also the place of koil, sound. Sound, it's what Svarim say, koil ma'erid ha-kavana. Sound arouses, arouses the kavana. So the Sarah Mashkim is the one who what? Who takes the grape. And the Sarah Mashkim is the one who squeezes the grape. And he produces the grape into wine. And this wine he puts into a cup. And this cup he lifts up, he places it on the hand of Pare. Pare represents Gilu Yalakus. In other words, that the Oir HaPriya is gone. You remove the Arlas Halev, you remove the foreskin. This is Pare in Kedusha. Everything in Klippa has a source ultimately in Kedusha. The higher something is, the lower it falls. So sometimes you have the highest spiritual energy. When it gets destructive, when it gets uh, distorted, the distortion is far more intense than something that's not such lofty energy. That's why you can have this paradox that Paray and Kedusha is such a lofty idea, and that's why when it's distorted, like a rebellious child, is sometimes the greatest gift to humanity as long as you can channel and harness the rebellion. Sometimes somebody who is anxious, somebody who suffers from deep depression, if he knows how to deal with it, he, he is probably could become one of the most powerful people because all energy, all emotion is energy. Emotion is energy in motion. Emotion. The question is where that energy is going. So if I could find the proper way to harness that energy, the fact that this person is so depressed means they're very sensitive, they're very profound, they're dealing with a lot of anxiety, they don't take things for granted, they're open to profound ideas, they're very perceptive, things penetrate very deeply. So when this person could convert that energy and find a redemptive outlet for it, in other words, trace it back to Paray in its source... Then it's the other way around. That which fell lowest also goes to the highest space. I mean, this is a big yisoyt in the shit of the Balatanya always. It has to do with what we spoke earlier with toyu and tikkun, why we have to eat food, etc. That which is inferior is really superior. That which you struggle with most usually contains your deepest light. It's very difficult, though, to see it that way because uh, the head... <laughs> You have to survive it. <laughs> you have to survive it. If you could survive it, you'll do well. If you can survive it, then you'll do well. Not only you'll do well, there's an expression, right? In halachas svarim. If something doesn't help, at least it won't be mazik. In chinuch, you have to say the opposite. If he's not a mazik, probably nothing will come out of him. <laughs> In other words, somebody who always behaves, okay, He'll be a good guy, he'll pay, you know, he'll pay his taxes and, and, uh, and pay his dues to the shul. When you see Hezek, ah, this you have to invest in. 
When you see when you see somebody who's rebellious, I'm not saying this a mitzvah to turn all children into uh, into everybody sees what they want to see. So whenever you have an issue with something that's mata, it has to do with gavoya. Even a para, you have para in Umazah, but you have para in kedusha. In the source, this doesn't mean para down here is holy. It means that there's an energy that can get very distorted, but in its source, it's really sublimated. Pare in Kedusha is complete, a complete space of gilu, of exposure. Miloshim priya, priya. The Sarah Mashkim therefore wants to get the grave to Pare. He wants it to be on the hands of Pare. What's the Sarah Mashkim in a person's avoida? That's the Kona and the Reya, the windpipe which connects the liquid, the Mashkim the liquid, the element of water with the element of fire and cools off the element of water. The Kana is also the, connected to the voice. So the Sarhamashkim, the Kana, takes the grape and crushes the grape and during davening brings out the wine. When a person davens loud with a coil, when a person speaks, sings, davens with a voice, that itself arouses kavana, it arouses concentration, it arouses meditation. So the sarhamashkim causes the grape to be crushed and produce the wine, to be megala the yayin amesameich and to lift it up on the hands of Parai. On your hand you have engraved me, and al kapayim, as he brings from Iyoy, vayitzavala Al-Kaf Parai is the tefillah that the Sarah through the coil is Ma'ira, the Kavana, and therefore the Avar transcends even the Hasaga of the person because the wine emerges from the grape and it's not concealed anymore. That's step one of this interpretation. Removing the foreskin, that's his dream. He has a dream to remove the Arla, the shell that blocks the inner wine of the soul. And not only that, once I have the wine, it ultimately reaches the space of Pari where there's complete openness and there's no Arla anymore because the wine emerges and in a person's personal Avaida, it's the Kana, the Koyal, that's Ma'edir, the Kavana, that the wine should emerge, the inner Ava should come out and it shouldn't remain concealed because that Kavana means you're interested, you're engaged, there's, there's a Simcha during the Davening because there's a Kavana during the Davening. And the Koyal is Ma'edir, the Kavana, that's the Sar Hamashk. Not every person is capable of drinking this type of wine. This is called Yayin HaMesameach. Rak Yishrei Leiv. For this you have to have a straight heart. Simcha. This type of Simcha is only for Yishrei Leiv. Right? We say, Oyer Zeru Al-Atzadik, Friday night. Oyer Zeru Al-Atzadik. Uli Yishrei Leiv. Simcha. And Yishrei Leiv Simcha means Simcha could be, Leiv means you have a Leiv Yasher. Your Leiv is straight, and therefore there's not so many knots, so you could find this Simcha. What's the Yishrei Leiv? Somebody who always nurtured themselves. So even though they also, everybody has an Arla. Everyone needs a bris. Everybody has Arla Saleiv. Everyone's heart goes different places and they could become terrible or, or subtle distractions of your yayin amesameach. 
But this is already a lighter foreskin, and the person removes it, and that's what the Saramashkim does. The person starts davening, and he's in, he's in, he's connected. All he needs is coil. That's it. Right? The signs in davening, Asr Ladaber was once a shul, I saw a sign, Asr Ladaber Bishasadibur. Which Madrega are you on? If you're davening, I say, Asr Ladaber For some people, it's not, the, they're not speaking in the middle of davening. Right? They're davening in the middle of speaking, so what's the problem? I was once in a shul, so somebody was making noise. So I went over and I said, maybe, so maybe you could, maybe you could speak a little lower. He says, what do you think I came here for? To be quiet, I could stay home with my wife. She doesn't talk to me, I don't talk to her, I came here to talk. And what do you think I came here for? A yid came to the chayz of Leblin and he said he has machshav as during davening. He said it at Enskrata, he said it very seriously. He meant it, he said, what do you think I come here for? Uh, uh, there was a the chayz, he came to the chayz and he says it's terrible. He says what he says I daven and machshav zor is coming all time. Machshav zor is coming in the middle of daven. He says no 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 no. Machshav zor is the pshat. It's an alien thought. He says by you the thought is not alien. You come to shul you have machshavas. The tefill is the machshav zor. Your tefill is the machshav zor. This was a very important idea because if you don't identify this, your struggle is a different struggle. If you think you're davening and you're having machshav azaris, that's a shtikl madrege. <laughs> it means you're in a relationship. You're trying to connect. And something is bothering No, you're not trying to... You don't even know what it means to connect. You didn't start davening. So your problem is not machshav azaris. Your problem is you have to leave and learn that you're capable of a relationship. The chayzer wasn't stopped trying to make fun of him. These were not people who did that. They weren't insecure that they had to put down people who came to them dealing with people who were very profound and holy, he wanted to explain to the person the issue. Your problem is not machshav <laughs> Your problem is your tefillah is machshav You don't know, you, don't, you didn't begin the relationship. That's the distinction. The struggle of the saramashkim sachakil is koil moirin hakavana. You get into the koil yomoirin kavana. For that, there has to be a psashtikl kavana, and the koil brings out the kavana. So that's le'yishrei le'yishrei. Le'yishrei leif, that there's already, the grape is, 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 lends itself to be opened. The grape lends itself to be crushed. And then the wine will come out, and the wine will not only come out, it will be placed on the hands. Al-kapayim chakoysich, v'yitzav aleh b'mavgiyah zutfilah. It's interesting how he brings the psukim here. That's the koyach the koyach of the saramashkim, to be ma'oyre, the ava, and the ava explodes. So this is... Al-Tarebbe says, this is for the Jew, the Yishrei Leiv, and what he's looking for is Simcha. So you come to me, I'm telling you, this is what you need. You need to have Koil. <laughs> you need to have a Saramashke. You have to get rid of the Orlis Halev. And then, the, the wine will flow, and it won't stop flowing. With wine? Achmish Pogam Drachov. But what about somebody who's broken? This is somebody who really... It's not broken, but the person does it, it's not tied up. Elamai, we all have foreskins. Godliness is, re- is concealed by everybody. So mainly he has to, he needs that dosage of help to be able to get it out. Because <coughs> even a little masach, there's no big blockages, but the part is, to experience intimacy with God, you can't have any blockages. And even a subtle one is going to disturb the intimacy. The Gemara says, "Who be bigdai, vehi be bigda, yoitzi vehi ten ksuva." Right? 
If he, talking about a husband and a wife, if he insists that he remains in his godim in his clothes, and she remains in her clothes, in other words, there's no intimacy completely, so the Gemara says, If this is his requirement, this is not a marriage. You could tell him to get divorced. So the Bala Tanya teaches that it goes also on a Jew and Hashem. And look at the Torah. If you relate to God and you refuse to get rid of your wardrobes, your clothes, it's not a marriage. A relationship has to be raw. It has to be vulnerable. It has to be without garments, without cloaks. With, I'm talking about psychological garments. In other words, if you're fake on the outside, you're going to be fake on the inside. There's no such a thing that there's not one person in the world you're honest with but with your Rebbeinah Shalom, you're going to be honest. It doesn't work that way. If you're dishonest with people, you're dishonest with God. If you're dishonest with God, you're dishonest with people. But sometimes people think they'll have a relationship with Hashem that's real. If there's not one person you can have a relationship with, not one, how can you have a relationship with Hashem? It doesn't work. Who bevigda? So we're talking here about a person, there's no huge blockage, but there's oh, even subtle blockages are blockages. He doesn't want any begadim. So in Mela, you have your Asad HaMashkim has a dream. <coughs> but then there's somebody, the relationship has to be created. It's not that there's a powerful relationship, but there's four types of blockage. So now the question is, how we get the Kavona, the Ava, to, to, to explode? In other words, I'm not looking how to get rid of the Machshav Zorah. <laughs> I'm looking how to turn davening not into a Machshav Zorah. I'm trying to understand how it begins. That's the next step. For this, you don't need Yayin HaMesameach. You're not capable yet of wine that's going to bring you joy. You still need a different type of wine. Always a sign for this is somebody who's Chatas Nurim, in other words, their whole intimate life may have become defiled as a result of various behaviors. It's not his fault. He can't rejoice with God during davening. Not because he doesn't want to. He doesn't know what it is. What does it mean? How do you rejoice with somebody and how do you rejoice with God? There are so many thoughts that confuse him, so therefore the davening There's no of tefillah even. It, there's so much confusion, there's so much mavabalazaisa. Now it doesn't mean that I'm davening and a thought comes in. It means I can't even create the mindset of going into an intimate moment. You have a person, they don't know how to enter a mindset of intimacy. I'm talking about spiritual intimacy, physical as well. But it's a, it's a mindset, I can't even go into that. You know, it's like a person who never ever stops texting. You ever sit, somebody comes, person came to see me the other day, they sit down. So I look at them, and uh, they say, one minute. They go like this. I'm like, okay. Around 20 seconds later, I'm sorry, one second. And for the next, for the next while, this, and I was looking at it, and it was really a very interesting study, because people don't realize this on themselves. They can't go into any, there's no space. There's no space. You have a relationship with anybody, with your child, yeah. With your spouse, yeah. With God, yeah. There's no space in which you're not distracted. So this is today, where the whole life revolves around this. Uh, these little towns in Lyazhna and Belarus, they didn't have iPhones, if I'm not mistaken. 
even though they say that the British said that they were digging and they excavated wires, and they want to say that 2,000 years ago they already had wires, so the Israelis responded that they excavated in Tzvas, and they found no wires, which means 3,000 years ago they had wireless communication. <laughs> but nonetheless, nonetheless, machshav v'zoras don't have to come from without. The person is not even in a state of a relationship. That's the challenge. For this is another Eitz. There's another type of wine, and this is called in Tanakh, Yayin HaMeshaker. There's Yayin HaMesameach and there's Yayin HaMeshaker. Yayin HaMesameach is wine that brings joy. You know what Yayin HaMeshaker means? Yayin that makes a person drunk. Yayin HaMeshaker. So if somebody would stop by this line, the Maimer would say, okay, the Balatanya says... If the relationship is not working and you can't daven, right? It's just time to not just drink, to get inebriated and to get uh, to get smashed. That's that's classic taking something out of uh, context because we'll soon see what yayin amashak it is. But I'm just showing you how somebody could quote a line and say, "This is the lesson. The lesson is if nothing is working, just get stoned." But everybody understands, even Bashkafir Hashem, that that's never a solution, because what does that do? You'll sober up, and you'll be depressed again, right? They say that in the British Parliament, somebody once told Winston Churchill that he's a drunk, which was not far from truth. So he responded, he says, that's true, but you're a fool. The difference is, I drink, tomorrow I'm sober. You wake up tomorrow, you're still a fool. So there's no difference. So, Yayin HaMashaker... What does it help? It's going to get you drunk. So he says, for this, there's a Pasuk. Meshachasav, the Pasuk says in Mishlei, this is Mishlei Lamed Aleph. The last <coughs> Pasuk, I think, in Mishlei, the same chapter like Eishas Chayil Miyimtza V'rochiv Abnina Mishra. Shleim HaMelech says there, he says, aristocrats, melochim, roiznim, nesichim, princes, don't drink. They don't drink because they don't want to lose their insanity. But Shleim HaMelech says, who drinks? He says, Tnu Sheikher La'ovid. Give Sheikher. Sheikher is a... Mead. Huh? Mead? Yeah, very strong alcoholic honey uh, med. Tnu Sheikher La'ovid. Give this alcoholic beverage to somebody who's lost. V'yayin Lamare Nefesh. You know who you got to give wine to? Bitter dimension. Bitter souls, Yishta, let him drink, and he'll forget his poverty for a moment. That's what Shleim HaMelech says. Yayin, you got to give, not to aristocrats and to royal people. You got to give it, somebody who's lost, Mare Nefesh. Yishkach Reishay, and he'll forget his poverty, his deprivation. No, no, no. It's poverty. Then he'll have to drink again. Yeah. <laughs> no, he'll forget his poverty. When you're drunk, you're on top of the world. Yeah. That's what Shlomo Melech says. Al Pipshat, what is he saying? He's saying people who are successful don't have to drink. <laughs> people who are happy, what do they have to get smashed for? If you're an Ovid, you're a loser. Your life is bitter and horrible. What's the Eitzah? The Eitzah is you hit the bottle. You hit the bottle. That's what you do. This is what we call alcoholism. Shleim HaMelech introduced it in Mishle Lamed Aleph. You're a frustrated soul. You need a distraction. You need to numb the pain. What do you do? You drink. You'll forget your poverty. 
Ashena Maisa. The Rashab, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, once went to Moscow for a political situation in the Tsarist government that he was dealing with. It was a very serious situation. He finished late at night, he came home to the hotel, and he turns to his son, he was his disciplined with his time, was legendary. Call his work on himself. He turns to his son, who later took him, succeeded in the Rayats, the sixth Chabad Rebbe, and he says, Lame Fabrengen, I want to Fabreng with you. For his son, that was a priceless gift because it was very rare. His father would tell him things that he usually wouldn't tell him. So he says, uh, Go bring a mashka, we'll say lechai. It was late at night at Moscow, so he went. But look, all the stores were closed. All the stores were closed. But he knew his father wanted it. There's nothing he wouldn't do for his father. So he went everywhere. Looked and looked and looked. He couldn't find anything. Right before you go home, as he was on the way back to the hotel, he sees a Russian drunkard, an absolute shikha, holding a flash, uh, a bottle of mashka, smashed, and there was still plenty of mashka in the bottle. And he's holding it, and he's dancing, he's walking, he's swaying. So he goes over to him and he says, how much is this bottle worth in the store? Says, 20 rubles. So I'll give you 50 rubles, give me the bottle. He says, no, 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 no. A hundred rubles, two hundred rubles. There was nothing he wanted, his father wanted. He went up and up. He offered him all the money he had in his wallet. He had a lot of money. All the money for the flesh of Mashka. And he said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So the Rayat says, what's the Havana? I give you the money. Tomorrow morning, you could buy not one bottle. You could buy so much money. He says, how much money are you going to give me? A thousand ruble. Yeah. What can I buy with a thousand ruble? I can't even buy one house in Moscow. He says, Abimider Butel is Gans Moskva Miner. But with this bottle, the whole Moscow belongs to me. Gans Moskva is Miner, the whole Moscow. So he comes back to the hotel. His father says, No. I didn't bring Mashka, but I brought a Vort. <laughs> You'll see what the word is. It's not a word. So we understand the passage. You drink to forget your tzaras. But Shloim HaMelech says to do it. So the Balatanya says Shloim HaMelech wasn't telling people that if life gets tough, it's time to hit the bar. That's not the advice. In Mishle, he's not saying, I'm a Morei Nefesh, go drink. He's talking about something much profounder. That you're not capable of yayin amesameach. What you need is yayin ameshak. What is this? This is a gemara in Sanhedrin. Mem gimel, I think. When people get executed by bezdin, so the gemara you mashkinoi say kois yayin kaidem amisa. You know this? Before a Jew got a death penalty, they used to give him a whole cup of wine, and yes, then their wine is not our wine. Their wine you had to dilute in water, right? It's called. You have to be moizig, the kaisinya, you know how much you have to dilute it? Huh? Two, huh? Two thirds. You understand? Why? Because if you drunk the wine, you ever drank zexanainzika? 96% of alcohol, one cup of it, and you're done. You're done for the week. You're done for the week. There was a Yid who lived where I grew up. He was an old Russian Jew. His name was Reb Meir. And he used to drink every Shabbos, maybe every day, the old Russians, they used to drink a lot, that's how they dealt with communism and Stalin for many, many years. So, uh, so, uh, so, did, uh, 
so they said he was an old man, he was in his 90s, and uh, he didn't stop Shabbos upstairs by Kiddush, it's 96% alcohol. So I once asked somebody from the Mishpach, I said, I don't understand, how um, how does he get away with this? His doctor lets him do it. So he said, you don't understand. He goes to his doctor, they drink together. <laughs> he said, they drink together. It's wonderful, right? So we say a cup of wine, what's going to help you? Killing somebody, a cup of wine is not going to help you. We, let, we drink Mascati da Asti. Even if you're drinking a Merlot, so what are you drinking already? 12% alcohol? You have to understand the Yai and Koydem Amisa here, it knocked you out. The Mela, Shayucha Lisbert's Kadesha Titarev Daitil of the Shayucha Lisbert Sara Misa. They didn't want that the person should have to deal with the Tsar of death in a conscious way. So he was inebriated, and then they killed him. This is the Halachim Asechta Sanhedrin. You didn't just kill a person. You didn't want, you should be consciously alert to the pain. So they used to knock him out through the yayin. So he's going to explain this whole halach exists in nigla, it also exists in psychology, emotions, spirituality. Darizal has a different Krishna than many people. And familiar with Krishna Nusacharizal. First of all, he puts in Rebbeinu Shalom at the beginning, you forgive everybody. It's a beautiful Krishna, yes. In the middle of Krishna, he has a Yihiratsan. The Yihiratsan is. So I should be atoned for that. And then he goes to Srefa, he goes to Herig, and he goes to Chenek, and he goes to different mitzvahs that are associated with these spiritual penalties. So he says, this Gemara in Sanhedna, you got to drink before Mrs. Bezdin, also is Krishna Shlomita. Okay, so now if you stop here, the Miami, you think what he's telling you is in the middle of Krishna, you got to start drinking. So he says, you have to understand, in Pagamti, what's Pshat Skila? Skila is a hard thing to digest especially today's day and age. Skilla means stoning to death. He says, it's not what skill is. That's the practical, physical skill. Skilla begins on another level. What's skilla? Skilla means your heart becomes a rock. It says they used to throw a rock, on the per- a stone on the person's heart. The person died. Pshat is, spiritually skilla means... The person becomes a rock. I am a rock. Right? Mm-hmm. And a rock feels no pain. pain. And an island never cries. A rock feels no pain. You're plugged. You're a rock. You're unmoved. Unmoved by anything or anybody. You're not even moved by yourself. That's a condition of skill. What does it mean to be burnt? What does it mean to be burnt? To be burnt means you're an addict. You have no control over your impulses and passions. You get burnt up. You're not a person anymore. You're completely controlled by your habits, instincts, impulses, and addictions. And your tithes are sometimes the things that are forbidden and destructive. <coughs> the best words. Every person knows their soul. I was once at a recovery, Shabbaton in Boca, so a big addict gets up and he says, we know us. 
Yada in Ishbanafshe. We know us. Nobody knows us like we know us. The grammar was part of the drama. We know us. Yada in Ishbanafshe. Zoi si eitza yutzer shayuchal kabal of Dalad Mrs. Bezdin Bishlemus. Yishtibchinis koisyayin hama. Shleim HaMelech is not stam talking, get drunk. No, 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 he's giving an Eitzah. When you're a spiritual royal man, you don't need this wine. But when somebody is broken, when somebody's heart is made up of stone, how can you be moved by davening? You're not moved by anything. When somebody is in a state of addiction, what's headache? Remember what headache is? You don't have a head. Beheading. We're talking about what does beheading mean? You don't got a head anymore. Or what's chenek? Chenek is strangulation. What is that? You create a chatzitza between the head and the heart. The highway, the passage between the head and the heart is, uh, is interrupted. The ear can't pass. The energy can't pass. There's no relationship anymore. These are Dalit Mrs. Bezdin emotionally. It doesn't begin physically, it begins emotionally. And you could learn the whole title that way. When the Torah says, this is, this is a very important idea in Exodus. We read it, you did this sin, I'll teach you a lesson. I'm going to stone you to death. I'll burn you alive. No, no, no. That's, you're starting from the lowest space. You have to understand something else. When you do this, on an emotional level, the heart gets stoned. And I don't mean stoned here uh, as stoned. I mean stoned as stoned. It's not in a good way. <laughs> That's also not in a good way, but uh, <laughs> you mean in an exciting way. <laughs> a cer- certain Avedis, it makes you a slave. Before the punishment, you punished yourself. Skill a slave begins spiritually, begins psychologically. All halacha is a physical manifestation of what already happened. Punishments in Torah are basically exposing what already happened internally. That energy comes already into you. And then it's reflected in a physical fashion. In other words, it's not that it starts off with Bezdin. God says, if they do this, Bezdin has to do this. All halachas of Torah is a description of the internal manual of how the human and Jewish psyche works. Certain sins don't do skill, they do sreif. Some of them do hedek, some of them do chenek. Some of them don't do either. So when we're dealing with this type of person, you have to give them to drink before. What's this water, wine? This is not Yayin HaMesameach. This is Yayin HaMeshaker. What's Yayin HaMeshaker? We teach Meshaker from the word Shikr. You get drunk. He teaches here Yayin HaMeshaker in the Hemshech. Yayin HaMeshaker means wine that allows you to go out. It's a consciousness. It's going to be a whole meditation <laughs> that allows you to go out of the space you're in. Because all brokenness is from seeing things from a locked up place and not allowing yourself to break down the prison chambers. In other words, to break down all the shells. As long as I'm in an eggshell, I'm eclipsed from all sides. If I don't have the courage to break the shell and to confuse the shell, I'm always going to remain there. Because that's the only reality I know. So Yayin HaMeshaker is going to be very different than Yayin HaMesameach. Before I can even find my Simcha, I'm not ready to find my Simcha. The reason I'm not ready to find my Simcha is because I'm not ready to find myself because I am not myself. So Yayin HaMeshaker means a person has to be able to spit out the trauma. A 
person has to spit out sometimes years and years of traumatic thoughts, repressed emotions and experience, because they completely define him. You're asking why you can't daven, why you're full of machshavah zaras. You don't even know that there's another way of thinking. You're stuck in a repetitive cycle of how you function, how you operate. So you need to get drunk. What's Pshat drunk? He's going to say what Pshat gets drunk is, you've got to let go of how you see everything. And that's a painful experience because it's the only life you're used to. That's different than Yayin HaMesameach. When this is the drinking before Mrs. Besden, you have skilla. What's the skilla? The heart is like stone. In order to be able to fix the situation, <laughs> they have to give him a drink. So Yishleim HaMelech says, T'nu yayin l'modei nefesh. T'nu sheicher lo'evet. V'yayin l'modei nefesh. He's talking about a certain type of yayin. A spiritual consciousness, a spiritual meditation, which is discussed in the Hemshech of the Maimer, that we'll do in the next year, that basically allows a person to free themselves from that space. Now when I'm in that space, I can't understand this. I could believe him if I trust him, but I can't understand this. I can't experience it, let's put it that way. Maybe I can understand it a little bit. Can't really even understand it. Because when somebody is in that space, they're locked up. In the first case, the person knows the wine. There's blockages. He wants to remove the blockages, but he has already a lot of access. So it's a whole different avoid. Here the person doesn't yet have access to anything. If my whole heart is stone, what do I, where do I have? I don't have access. All I'm hitting is a rock, or I'm burnt up. That's why the first step, even in recovery today, what's the first step? Detox. Huh? Detox. Before even detox. <laughs> Obviously, you have to dip. And my life is? But you remember the words. Unmanageable. It's not manageable. In other words, I completely cannot manage. A person surrenders. Why is surrender so important? So you won't surrender. Because if you're not surrendering, it's on your terms. The moment it's on your terms, you could never get out. There was a Yid who came to the Maharash. I mentioned the Rashab, the father of the Maharash, the son of the Tzamaq Tzadik. And he, had a t- he did a terrible, terrible thing. He needed a tikkun, but he was embarrassed to tell the Rebbe that he did it. So what do people do? I'm Baruch Hashem Zaychet a lot of this. Comes into the Rebbe and he says, I have a best friend. And he's embarrassed to come. And he did this and this. And he asked me if I could come and ask you for a tikkun. I have to say it in Yiddish. So the Rebbe Maharaj tells him, Chashteinisht. Favos hadayim bestecha v'gedav tshikindir k'day duzel skenen zogim v'seret g'ton etoch k'kent alein komen unzogin az duostam g'shikt. Right? Your best friend could have come and say that you did it <laughs> and you sent him to ask how to do it. So I don't understand the question. <laughs> So he said, uh, it was me. I'm sorry I lied. So somebody once asked me, you know, people who live in ego games, so they have to make sure that nobody thinks that they fooled them. Sometimes teachers or parents have this power struggle with the kids, as though they themselves were kids. It's like, you can't lie to me. I know the truth. But people who are larger don't have that need. So what did the Rebbe Marash care if he thinks he fooled them? Okay, so you fooled me. So what's going to happen? So you don't understand the part. <laughs> if you're not ready to say, I did it, no tikkun in the world will help you. You can give him every tikkun in the world. People think a tikkun is, you go to the kaisel for 40 days, then you'll jump from one cave to another cave for 90 days. 
then you'll read this tikkun or that tikkun for three years, and then you'll jump to this place and that place and that place, and then your, your sins will cleanse. That's all worthless. It's all literally meaningless and worthless because it didn't even go into you. There's no ritual that can atone. The first thing you have to say is, I'm lost, and it's me. It's me. That's the first thing. Without that, it's not a tikkun. It's a robot. But the problem is, we think we're robots, and our sins are robotic. There's no person. It's not holistic. It's not organic. So the first step is, he had to say, I did it. If you can't say, I did it, it's worthless. So now we'll soon see what this Yayin Amashakim is. Okay. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.